Well, amen. Good morning, Ecclesia. It's, uh, it's good to be with you this morning and kind of continue our journey here, our second week of Advent. We're in uh, Hebrews chapter 2 this morning, and uh, we're going to be there for the, the next few weeks. And uh, so would encourage you to just spend some time uh, meditating on this passage and reflecting on this passage. This passage uh, speaks to us so much in this season. And I would just say as, as a way of introduction, uh, whether you're joining us online or you're, you're here in person, uh, I just want to praise your faithfulness in this season. We acknowledge that this has been a difficult time to stay engaged. Uh, my family has, has mourned the loss of, of being able to host people in our home on a regular basis. My family has mourned the loss of even just being physically present with some of you. And uh, I just want to remind you of the joy and privilege that we have every single week to get to come together and be physically present in worship and community as the church. There are, there are numerous parts, even right here in the United States, that are unable to gather physically in the same room this morning. And uh, you're welcome to your own opinion, but my opinion is that what we do here in this room is essential. It matters. It's significant. And we should fight and we should do everything we can to be physically present with one another. And in the same breath, we should do everything we can to make sure that it's safe and that people feel comfortable coming and gathering with us. And I just feel that there's an opportunity, if we're not careful, for people to fall through the cracks and drift in this season, as we talked about last Sunday. And I would just tell you this morning, if you're feeling disconnected, if you're feeling like, man, I just, I don't, I'm not in community, I would tell you that that feeling of disconnection is an invitation to connection, to reach out, to call someone, to be physically even present with someone. And so I just want to encourage you in that this morning and praise you for your faithfulness of just really pressing in in this season. As we talked about last Sunday, it's, it's easy to drift when we take our eyes off Jesus. And being in community helps us and reminds us to put our focus and attention on Jesus. Now more than ever, we need Jesus. We need to fix our eyes on Jesus. We need to have our focus and attention on Jesus God with us. And that's what it talks about in Hebrews chapter 2 that we covered last week. It says, therefore, we must pay closer attention to what we've heard, lest we drift from it. And what he's saying is, is we need to pay attention to all the things that, that is listed in Hebrews chapter 1, that in Hebrews chapter 1, it tells us ultimately who Jesus is. That's what, that's what Hebrews chapter 1 is all about. He tells us who Jesus is, that Jesus is the voice of God, that God is speaking to us through Jesus, that he's the heir of all things. Through Jesus, the world was created, that Jesus is God in the flesh, that he is God with us. We see that Jesus sits down, that he is the ultimate high priest. We see that Jesus is superior to the angels. We see that Jesus, that his throne will go on and on forever. That's, that's Hebrews chapter one. Who is Jesus? Hebrews chapter 2 tells us why Jesus came. And if, if, if I were to kind of look at Hebrews chapter 2, I would say Hebrews chapter 2 is a 16-point sermon on why Jesus came. 
And you're like, thankfully, Justin, you've decided to break that up into multiple weeks and not give us all 16. And, uh, and you know, my kids are anxiously awaiting for this to be over. And uh, so that's what we've done. We've, we've just broken down Hebrews chapter 2 and given us the reasons and the significant reasons of why Jesus came. And last week we talked about Jesus came for, for a drifting people. We are a drifting people, and he's our good shepherd. Jesus came to lead us, to guide us, that, that we would not be sheep without a shepherd going astray, that he would be our guide, that he would be our leader. He also came to give us hope. We saw in that passage that we look at the world surrounding us and we don't see the world in subjection to his authority and reign. We see brokenness. But it says, when we look at the world in which we see brokenness, look to Jesus because we see Jesus beat death and Jesus was victorious over death and Jesus being victorious over death shows us that he'll be victorious over all things and he gives us this hope. And today, we continue our journey and, and kind of giving us a few more reasons of why Jesus came. So we're going to be looking at Hebrews chapter 2, 10 through 13. And, and I just want to say, in, in doing so, you're like, why in the world is it significant that Jesus came? And I think I, I want to get to the essential question that I think we're all asking this morning. I picked up a, an Advent book the other day written by Scott Erickson, who's an artist, and he, he authored a book called Honest Advent, and in this, he basically says, who cares? If we're honest, isn't that the real question during this Advent season? Not what was the overarching theological plan of Christmas, but who cares? Has the divine been paying attention to what's going on with us, with us here, with us up until now? And, and that's my hope. If I were to give you one overarching goal of our series here, God with us, it was to, to, to give you just these, these ideas of why Jesus came and what difference it makes into our life today. Because Jesus came to meet very specific needs that we were experiencing on a daily basis. He came to, to speak and, and address our sin problem. He came to address our greatest issue, our fundamental issue in life. And still today, Jesus comes in this Advent season, and he's still working and dealing and, and, and making significant ways in which we are experiencing him in a whole new way. And so, Hebrews chapter 10, 2, 10 through 13. It says, For it was fitting that he for whom and by all, whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he's not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. Now, Hebrews chapter 2, 10 through 13 gives us um, significant ways in which Jesus came and what Jesus came to do, but it also presents some challenges. And, and I think if we read this text that we, we say, for it was fitting, it was appropriate, 
that, that he, for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. I mean, it, it literally says, like, Jesus came into the world. It was fitting that he would suffer. It was fitting. It was appropriate that he would die. Now, I don't know about you, but what man-made movement decides to take the leader of that movement and crucify him? And that, that be the, the significant plan in which we're going to bring about a worldwide movement. Let's, let's crucify the leader. I think it sounds like a surefire way to kill a movement. But I'm thankful that our ways are not God's ways. That God is brilliant. brilliant. That we look at God and logically it doesn't make sense. And to the hearers of this text, they would... Allig- uh, uh, um, the word I'm looking for is... Uh, Initially, they would initially just be taken back by the fact that, that they would think it's appropriate to crucify Jesus, that Jesus would go to the cross, that Jesus, that the Father would think that was fitting. And that's really the, the first point of this, this is Jesus came to be obedient to the Father. Jesus came to be obedient to the Father's purposes. His purpose was to die. Next week, we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 2, 14 through 15, and it says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself partook of the same things. He took on flesh and blood himself. Why? So that through death he might destroy the one who has power over death. He was born to die. That was the purpose of God for Jesus to come into this world. He came to die. Now, there's a lot of significant challenges with that. In fact, there's a lot of atheists and people who would claim that looking at the life of Jesus, that that is cosmic child abuse. That you would take your son and that you would murder him. And in fact, we, we jump into Isaiah 53, verse 10. It says, it pleased the Lord to bruise him. It pleased the Lord to crucify Jesus. This is a challenging text. How in the world could we worship a God who would murder his son? How would we we come to this place? But when we read Isaiah 53, we read it in the context of it pleased the Lord because of what it would bring about. It pleased the Lord because it would make himself an offering for sin and he shall see his offspring. It will prolong his days and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. And we see that it's the outcome. It's what Jesus came to do. We see in this very text in verse 10, for it was fitting that he would suffer. Why? Because it brings many sons to glory. That there is a significant outcome, and that is why the Lord says it is, it is pleasing. I, I remember I, I used to use an illustration in uh, student ministry days. One of the things that we used to talk about, you know, like it would be a, a, a gathering like this, and the time would come, and we would have everyone bow their head and close their eyes, and we would talk about the sacrifice of the Father, One of the illustrations that we would use is this picture of a a father and a son, and they're going off to work together. And the father was an operator of a drawbridge. 
and he would open the drawbridge and, and boats would be able to pass through and he would close the drawbridge and trains would be able to cross. And the son went to work with him that day and the son was off fishing. And all of a sudden they, they looked and, and the drawbridge would not go down, but yet a train was coming. And so the son recognized this and the son runs up and he manually goes in to, to fix the drawbridge and when it releases, the father looks and he says, he's at a point of decision. In this moment, this, this drawbridge, if, he doesn't come, if it doesn't come down, all of these people on the train are going to die. But if he closes the drawbridge, then he would crush his son. And in a moment of decision, he chooses to do just that. And the train passes by. And now what's interesting about this story is we look at that story and we see the sacrifice of, of the father. And a lot of people have pointed this out. In fact, there's a, a film that has been recently published called The American Gospel. And it basically looks how American Christianity has distorted the gospel of Jesus. And one of the things that it discusses in there is there's some leading atheists speaking about like, this illustration points to the fact that this is messed up. This is broken. Why in the world would we use an illustration like that to describe? And I think Mark Dever comes on and he says, well, there, there's one problem is our illustrations fail to fully encompass exactly what is happening. Because the son wasn't just crushed by the father, but the son willingly chose to give his life. In John chapter 10, Jesus says, no one takes my life. I willingly lay it down. Jesus wasn't the, the victim of child abuse. Jesus came and went to the cross to be obedient to his father and to bring many sons to glory. He came to fulfill the purposes of God in this lifetime. It was fitting for him. It's fitting means that it was consistent with the character of God. And I think many of us would, would never choose this, but God in his wisdom and in his intellect and in his character chooses this very means to bring about salvation. Not only do we see that, that God came in, in Jesus to, to fulfill the purposes of God, to be obedient to the Father, but he also came to lead us to glory. It says in this text that, that he came for whom and by whom all things in get, uh, exist in bringing many sons to glory. We needed someone to do what we couldn't do alone. Recently, I've, I've been growing in my own leadership skills, and I, I started reading a book called The Hundred Times Leader. And in the book, A Hundred Times Leader, it, it, it discusses this idea of the Sherpa. And the Sherpa live at, 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 in Mount Everest, and, and basically they, they train and they take people up the mountain with them. The job of a Sherpa is not to summit the mountain over and over again, but the job of a Sherpa is to take people with them. In fact, in this book, it discussed when, when asking a Sherpa, when asking them, how many times have you summited Mount Everest? They don't even understand the question because that's not their job. That's not what they, they came to do. Their job is not to just summit Mount Everest. 
but how many people have you helped summit? How many people have you taken up with you? And I I love this picture because I, I believe this is what Jesus came to do in bringing many sons to glory. We are stuck on the side of a mountain wondering how in the world are we going to get up this mountain? How in the world are we going to summit? How in the world are we going to get to the top? And no matter how significant, no matter how strong, no matter how wise, we could never do it alone. We needed a guide. And Jesus was our guide. Jesus came, and he came down the mountain. Jesus had already summited. Jesus was already ascended to the right hand of the Father in heaven, but yet he came down from this glorious place, and he came down to help us make the summit, to help us climb the mountain. We see these types of pictures, and in, in when we go back to the story of the Exodus, we see Moses leading out the Israelites. Moses led them from Egypt, but he's leading them to a promised land. And we see Jesus in the same way. He's led us out from Satan's sin and death, but he's leading us to glory. And that's what he came to do. And maybe you're here this morning and you're like, what is glory? And... and To be really honest with you, I'm like, I don't know, but it sounds really awesome. Because I I can go back and I can give you passages and I can, if we if we turn over, if you you got your Bible, turn over to Romans 8. Romans 8, 18, it says, For I considered that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that's going to be revealed to us. Whatever is to come is going to be way more significant than anything else we've ever fixed our eyes on here. And it says that everything we faced, every suffering we've experienced on this earth, that what we one day will see face to face will far surpass it. That's what Jesus came to lead us to. That's where Jesus is leading us. Jesus came down to lead us to glory. I love this this idea of, of talking about Jesus being the founder of our salvation meaning no one else can make that claim. He is the entrepreneur of salvation. He is the pioneer of salvation. Basically, he is the one who blazed the path. No one else went before him. It's only Jesus. I read in in a recent article this week that someone was speaking about the vaccine, and they, they referenced that this was going to bring salvation to humanity. Now, There's probably a lot of us that would say, hey, that's good news. It's good news. It's not salvation to humanity. It's already been done. Salvation to humanity has already came in the person and work of Jesus. Jesus brought about about salvation. Jesus is the founder of salvation. Jesus is the pioneer of salvation. He is the one who blazed a path. And no matter what vaccine we take on this earth, we're all still going to die. We got to be saved from death. And Jesus came to do that. He came to lead us to glory. The third thing Oh, uh, let me back up real quick. I I love this picture. I wanted to reference this because next week uh, we're going to take an opportunity to appoint elders here at Ecclesia. Several months ago, we, we, we shared with you that the Lord was raising up um, some men and some families that we want to help shepherd the church with. 
And, and I think this is a great picture that, that, that Jesus models for us of what it means to be the leader. That means that we bring people along with us, that we're bringing people up the mountain with us. And the role of an elder, the role of a pastor, the role of a shepherd is to be pioneers, is to bring people with us. It's, it's, it's a heavy responsibility. And Jesus modeled that for us. Jesus modeled what it looks like to, to come down from this glorious place. And like this, this role as a pastor is not a platform to be praised, but a responsibility to, to be steward. As elders, as leaders, we're given this task that in the same way to follow in the footsteps of Jesus means that we as believers in Jesus, we have the responsibility to bring people with us. What good news, Jesus did that. Advent is a season and and an opportunity to remember that he came to bring us to glory and that we should give an invitation for many to follow. Third thing is this, to transform our lives. To transform our lives. I love as it says, for he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. Let me tell you a story this morning. All of you are sinners. Good news, right? No, that's bad news. All of us, because of our sin, the Bible says, for the wages of sin is death. Meaning what we earn, what we gain for our sin is we all die. Our sin brings about punishment and consequences. But the Bible tells us that the gift of God, he came to give us a gift, and that gift is eternal life. And not only has he given us this gift of eternal life, and we're not just sitting around waiting for heaven, as as Garrett shared earlier, but he's come to change our life here and now. He's sanctifying us. He's, He's changing us. He's transforming us. I love this picture of bringing Because the idea of bringing means that he's literally, the way the the Greek talks about this is, he's our captain, he's our hero. It gives us this picture of David going out in front of Goliath, like he is the one out in front, saying like, hey, I'm I'm gonna lead the charge. I'm the pioneer, I'm the founder. That's kind of the idea that we get in this text. And what, what's fascinating about this is, is that Jesus is out in front and we are given an option. We follow Jesus or we follow Adam. We're either in Jesus or we're in Adam. Romans 5.12. It says, therefore, I love this. We've been covering this in our equip groups here recently. Just talking about our identity and and the doctrine of original sin. Romans 5.12, therefore just as sin came into the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. But then it goes on in verse 17, for if because of one man's trespass, trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Now, the question is this morning is, whose team are you on? Jesus came to adopt us to his team. Jesus came and said, hey, you, you all need to be sanctified. You all need to be changed. You all need to be transformed. And he said, we all have one source and, and I love this picture because it's a picture of going like, none of us in this room can say, hey, I, I don't follow one of those two parties. Either Jesus is your captain or Adam is your captain. We watched a video in our equip groups and it basically said, well, I didn't really like choose Adam to be my captain. 
I, don't, I mean, that's really not fair. You know, Adam took of the fruit of the tree, and because he took of the fruit, like he's, he's the representative of all mankind. I didn't choose him to be my representative. Well, when you sin, you made him your representative. You, you chose him when you chose sin. And you may say, well, that's not fair. Well, here's the good news. The good news is that Jesus came. And if you put yourself on Jesus' team, whatever Jesus accomplishes for the team, you get to receive all the benefits of him. And that's what's awesome. Because we're like, man, Adam really screwed it up for everyone. And I don't really want to be on his team. That's not fair. Well, Let's not talk about fairness when it comes to Jesus because it's not fair that Jesus would go to the cross and suffer the punishment that you deserve, the death you deserve, and yet you receive life. You get all the benefits. And so I don't know about you, I wanna be on team Jesus. You have one or two options this morning. Team Adam, team Jesus. Team Jesus is leading us to glory. Team Jesus is transforming us. Team Jesus wants to be our brother. And so we need to quit pledging our allegiance to Adam and say, I follow Jesus. And maybe we'll get an opportunity to do that here in just a minute. Last thing I'll share with this, and there's someone in this room who needs to hear this this morning, if not all of us. Jesus came. He came to, to be obedient to the Father. He came to lead us to glory. He came to transform our lives so that we would follow him. But he came to make us one to make us one. I, lo I love this text. He says in verse 11, for he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. In, in the Greek, it, it literally says all of our one. We're, we're of one. We're, what, what, what is Jesus's is, is ours. What he has, we have. What we have, he has. We're one. And it goes on and it says, this is why he's not ashamed to call them brothers. Jesus is not ashamed of you. Jesus is not ashamed of you. We needed to be set free from shame and adopted into a family, and Jesus came to do that. He's not ashamed of you. All of us have family members that we're like, I, I don't really acknowledge them. My mom in high school, her job in life was to embarrass me. She would literally pick me up when I was a freshman in college and hang out the car window and yell and, and try to embarrass me in front of my friends. That was her job in life. And what did I do? I'm like, who is that crazy lady over there, right? But I did the same thing to her. Like we would be in the grocery store and I would do everything I could to embarrass her. You know, I'm like, hey mom, you're not using that credit card you found on the street, are you? You know, when she's checking out, those kind of things. Like, you're not using that fake ID again, are you, mom? Like, just like those little hints, like whatever I could to kind of just get under and embarrass her. Sometimes we think that that's the way Jesus treats us. That we've been grafted into this family and he just has to accept us, but he doesn't really like us. We're kind of the weird uncle in the family that everyone's kind of embarrassed by. But that's not how Jesus sees us. Jesus says, I'm not ashamed to call them family. They're family. I love them. They're family. And I think if we're not careful, we are all manufacturing reasons for why we should be ashamed and why he wouldn't call us brother or sister. 
We do. Our hearts manufacture reasons for why Jesus is ashamed of us. And he's not ashamed. John chapter 6, verse 37 says this. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Whoever comes to me, I'll never cast out. It's important to know that. It's important to know how God sees you. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. But yet I guarantee that this week, our hearts have crafted reasons for why we can't experience God with us. I I guarantee that as we, we step into this next week that there are going to be moments where we believe that Jesus is ashamed of us and not willing to call us brother, sister, family. Several months ago, a a book by the title of Gentle and Lowly was published, and it basically just talks about the heart of Jesus towards sinners. What is the heart of Jesus? And in this book that Dane Ortland wrote, he, uh, he references John Bunyan, not, not Paul Bunyan, the, the lumberjack, okay? John Bunyan, all right, the, the old school Puritan that wrote Pilgrim's Progress. is a fascinating book, and I, I'm going to kind of lead us in a reflective reading this morning. Garrett's going to come back up and, and play. Um, but he, John Bunyan wrote a book called Come and Welcome to Jesus Christ in 1678. And in this book, he, he took an entire verse and wrote an, an entire book on it. And that verse was John 637. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. An entire book dedicated to that verse. And one of the things that he says is, obviously we can always grow suspicious about Jesus' heart towards us. That there are times that we may be heartily afraid that Jesus Christ will not receive us. And if if that were, were not true, Jesus wouldn't have spoken these words. If, if he knew that we wouldn't be afraid to come to him, he wouldn't say, I'm never going to cast you out. And so John Bunyan basically wrote up a list of excuses for why we believe that, that Jesus won't receive us. And it responds over and over again, I will never cast you out, says Christ. And I think we need to hear that this morning. We need to have the gospel spoken over us because one of the, reason Jesus, one of the reasons why Jesus came is to receive you, to receive you in your sin, to receive you in the, the darkness of your heart, to to receive you in your depravity, in your brokenness, that he would receive you. He's not casting you out. He came to let you know you are accepted and that God is with us. So I have some phrases here, and I I want us to read these together. And there's a part that, that, that I'm going to read, and I want you to preach the gospel to yourself. And so where it says congregation, real bold and loud, not your church voice. We're not in the library this morning, okay? This is Jesus speaking these truths over you. 
but I am a great sinner. But I am a drifting sinner. But I have sinned against so many people. But I have blatantly disobeyed. But there is nothing good in me. But I have walked in the ways of the world. But I have really messed up. But I have lacked boldness to live for you. And we wonder, I mean, how long can this go? How many times can we keep doing this? And obviously this was written in 1678, so we modernized it. But the truth is, is we, we sometimes believe Jesus is going to eventually get tired of saying that back to us. That we'll come up with eno- enough excuses. We say, no, wait. We, we cautiously approach Jesus. You don't understand. I've really messed up in all kinds of ways. I, I know he responds. You know most of it, sure, certainly more than what others see, but there's perversity down inside of me, hidden from everyone. I know it all. Well, the thing is, it isn't just my past, it's, it's my present too. I understand. But I don't know if I can break free from this anytime soon. That's the only kind of person I'm here to help, says Jesus. But the burden is heavy, and it's heavier all the time. Then let me carry it. It's too much to bear. Not for me, says Jesus. You don't get it. My offenses aren't directed towards others. They're against you. Then I'm the only one most suited to forgive them. But none of the, uh, but the more ugliness in me discover, the sooner you'll get fed up with me. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Dane Ortland says, we cannot present a reason for Christ to finally close off his heart to his own sheep because no such reason exists. It doesn't exist. The only stipulation in this passage is that we must come. Whoever comes to Jesus, he will never cast out. My question to you this morning is, will you come to Jesus? Will you come to Jesus? Jesus came so that we could come. Jesus came to show us his love, his character, his nature. He loves you. He came. He's not surprised by your sin. He's not surprised by your brokenness. He's not surprised that your sin earned death. He came to set you free from that. And whoever comes to him, he will never cast out. Will you come to Jesus? You're like, well, I came to Jesus. Well, keep coming. We have to keep coming to Jesus over and over and over again. Every morning, come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Focus your attention on Jesus, lest you drift. That's why Jesus came this morning. Will you come to Jesus? Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for this reminder and this picture and just a, a sense of thankfulness for why you came for us. Jesus, we were left on the side of a mountain never to summit. 
just to die. But you came down, you left your glorious place on earth to come and rescue us. And not just rescue us, but to bring us up to glory. Lord, thank you for changing us. Thank you for transforming us. Let us never be afraid to approach you. Lord, let us know that you're not ashamed, that you praise us, that you long to call us brother, sister, family. And Lord, I pray for my friends here this morning who are not a part of the family of God, that this morning that they would come to Jesus, that they would recognize it's just a simple prayer of just saying, God, save me. God, forgive me. God, adopt me into your family. You're not ashamed. You're not ashamed. We don't have to run. We just have to come. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, this morning, no matter where you are, no matter where you are in life, no matter what excuse you come, come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. No matter where you are, come to Jesus. Jesus longs for you to be with him. Jesus is God with us. Let's stand. Let's sing. I would love to pray for you if you need prayer. Uh, even a few, uh, many, if you want to join me, we'd love to pray for you. We'd love to encourage you this morning. We'll be over here on the side. We'd love to just share with you the good news of Jesus. If that's what you need to hear this morning, Jesus came so that we could come. Amen? Let's sing. We stand on this